2: Hello and welcome to News from the Nerds, the midweek news show from the Formula Nerds. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll cover the main news headlines from the past week, including Tuesday's big meeting regarding sprint races and the cost cap, the highs and lows of the race in Imola, rumours of a driver swap, some big news for the W Series and all the hype around the upcoming Miami GP. So, we're missing Grace this week. She's not knocked herself out or got trapped in a lift or anything as, as far as I'm aware. Uh, it's just apparently a 24-hour exam. Uh, we do have Abby though. Abby, how are you and have you ever heard of a 24-hour exam before?
0: I'm good. I definitely don't envy Grace with a 24-hour exam. I'm lucky enough to not have to have sat one myself so good luck Grace. I hope it's going okay but I'm glad to be here. We have quite a bit of news to get through today.
2: You're right, we do. Uh, luckily we do also have
1: Sam here to help us with that. How's it going my friend? Yeah, it's all good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Can't complain. Partly because I'm not in a 24 hour exam. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've, I never, also never did one myself. Um, but they just seem unkind. Like, because for me, I'd then be like, well, I've got 24 hours, I need to use every single hour. But this isn't a podcast about exams. So how are you, James? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, Well, yeah, you're right. This is a podcast about F1,
2: so let's get straight on to the biggest news coming out of the week, which is we're only just out of the first sprint weekend of 2022, but the talk of 2023 has already begun. The F1 bigwigs all got together in London on Tuesday to discuss plans for the future, mostly focused on sprint races and the budget cap. Now, the plan to increase to six sprint races this year was blocked by the teams after a disagreement over pay, I think it was last year. They've all agreed for 2023, but now it's the FIA who want the money. So, as far as I've seen, they are claiming that they need more funds for... uh, Like, a a sprint race costs them more than a practice session in the admin side of things. Uh, And apparently it's annoyed the teams and FOM or F1 itself just this request is apparently greedy is the word coming out a lot. What do you think? Do you think the FI are in a right to ask for more money or
1: are they being greedy? I mean, I'm not sure that's an argument that F1 can really use because, yeah. it, it, you know, in, you know, Mattia Bonotto, in his responses to why Ferrari are backing six-pin races, actually mentioned, I don't know if you mentioned a word for word, but essentially revenue. He basically said, look, there's an opportunity to earn more money here as well as, you know, more races. So I'm not sure that quite washes with me. However, what is kind of, I think, quite interesting and telling is that there are reports that, and this is Craig Slater from Sky Sports, said that it seems that the direction that Mohammed Ben Suliam is taking the FIA in is increasingly different to the direction that F1 wants to go in apparently he was in this meeting was fixated on stuff like the jewelry piece that we heard a few weeks back in in Melbourne so it does seem like there is a disconnect there which could foster
0: into kind of wider issues yeah i think obviously we had the sprint races last year and then we they wanted six this year like you said so it is more costly for teams and i know ross Braun was in favor of adjusting the budget cap to maintain the six races because It is effectively six times the allowance in that. But I think the teams are right in that they will need an increase in in the budget cap for it. Because, I mean, yes, the budget cap has been decreased this year. But to increase the six races, that's effectively adding on. If they have 23 races next year, that's 29 races in the season. So I think there is an argument there. But it will be interesting to see what the outcome
1: will be. So it will be, be interesting to see. So at the moment, F1 teams are given an additional one hundred fifty thousand dollars per sprint race, and an extra hundred thousand if they retire or have any issues, you know, as as a result of that race. So, uh, yeah, I assume that they would, at the very least, double that kind of you know amount. So it's four hundred fifty thousand for the three sprint races for just entering them i assume that would double in line with you know doubling the number of races but do they need to to widen that you know do they need two hundred fifty thousand for entering and you know so and so forth so i think this year we they really need to look at that closely and really work out what the costs are because you don't want teams to be even more stretched than they are it's difficult to kind of see how this will develop over the year
2: yeah, I mean they're looking at costs a lot. Uh, it's it's another thing that was brought up in the meeting was adjusting the cost cap for inflation that you know the world is currently experiencing. It's, I mean, how much of it's due to COVID, how much of it's due to Russia? We don't obviously don't know, but the point the teams were making was that. with such you know the ever-growing F1 calendar freight is becoming a bigger and bigger issue and it's becoming more and more expensive just to get the stuff to the Grand Prix Uh, and so apparently there, there was another thing discussed there's been no official news on what they're doing about that yet but I think Ross Braun was quoted as saying he was prepared to to adjust the budget cap and to compensate for that.
0: Yeah well with the issue of the freight and that being delayed and not having the equipment in time for races... We saw last year that some teams had trouble getting it to Brazil or Mexico, I think it got stuck in Miami somewhere. And then this year with Haas, they obviously missed the first session of one of the days of testing because they didn't have their equipment in time. So it is something that definitely needs to be looked at because if we are gonna see more double headers and triple headers with races all over the world, it will become a serious issue that does need to be looked at.
1: Yeah, I mean like for those of us in the UK, we're living in a cost, we're in a cost of living, living crisis. Inflationary pressures is something that we are all very aware of at the moment. But you are, also I think the wider point needs to be made again, and, and Abby's absolutely right, it's it's more pressure on the teams, on the personnel and the employees who work for the teams. So I think that needs to be a primary concern. And it doesn't seem to be being brought up too much in these discussions. And maybe that's outside the remit of this. the immediate meetings between the FIA and F1 at this stage. But there are wider concerns, so I do hope that they address those at some point.
2: Yeah, F1 has money. I think we all know that. They The amount of money coming into the sport right now, and we've seen that in Miami, the crazy costs being thrown around for tickets and yacht club and such, and we'll come on to that later. But... Uh, yeah they can surely afford a little bit extra to whether or not the fia truly need this to cover their costs we couldn't possibly know but they don't get paid a lot i saw the figure i think it was something like 40 million for the year in the grand scheme of f1 that's not a lot for the governing body so if they need an extra few thousand for joe blogs to go and check the tires i don't think that's a deal breaker if they want these
1: from races Moving on from the power struggles of Formula One and the FIA, one of the most powerful teams in the sport have had quite a difficult weekend. So it was a home Grand Prix at Imola for Ferrari, and it didn't go according to plan at all. As we know, Carlos, for starters, put it in the wall during qualifying, lined up for the sprint race P10. He did obviously work through the field and damage limitation was very much done in that sprint race. But in in the main race, he... Obviously, had his first lap incident with with Daniel Ricciardo and was out, in, you know, in the early stages for the second race in a row. Charles, as, the, as we know, then I think the pressure maybe got to him. Binned it uh, later on in the race while tracking down Sergio Perez in pursuit of second place. Guys, what are your thoughts? Do you think the pressure is starting to get to Charles and Carlos? Do you think it's just a momentary blip? What do they need to do to kind of arrest this slide that we're seeing over the last couple of weeks for the team?
0: I think heading into their home Grand Prix there is that certain level of pressure anyway on top because all your fans are going to be there and people are going to expect you to perform at a certain level and especially for Charles with him leading the championship as well with that massive points gap heading into this weekend he is going to feel the pressure. For Sainz coming away from Australia after not finishing the race he could also have kind of put pressure on himself and wanted to bounce back and perform a lot better and be like, I need to finish this race. And obviously, as you said, that didn't happen. And then for him to retire from the race, I do feel that Charles did then take it on himself to be like, I've got to perform for Ferrari. I'm their only driver left. And it is our home Grand Prix with the championship. They've got the pace this year. They're leading it. So, Because they haven't in many recent years, there will be pressure for them to continue to perform and to continue to fight for the title. I'm just hoping that they do let it simmer down and not get to them too much and not mess with their heads and end up affecting their performance in races.
2: I think it's harsh to say that the pressure got to Charles. It's pretty much the first foot wrong from him all year, in the first four races anyway. He's We'll see I think if you if he did that a couple of times in a row or if he does that two or three in the first, next few races then yeah I think for now I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt he hit a curve too hard he was going for it all guns blazing I think fair enough Carlos yeah it's not it's not a great look he really needed a clean weekend after Australia and now he's right up against it and suddenly looking like he's you know barely in the title fight at all I've been impressed with Ferrari. They had this reputation for for not getting strategy right in the last few years and as Obi said they're now suddenly back at the front and I haven't really seen any mistakes from the team that I can remember in these first four races with, you know, maximum pressure of
1: making sure that they take advantage of the car that they've built. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the only people who have made mistakes are the guys in the car and I think, yeah, fair enough with Charles. It was one mistake. He has obviously elevated his game this year, and that's been really refreshing to see. But he does need Carlos there with him. Be it as an equal, be it as a rear gunner, be it as, you know, Charles supporting Carlos. We don't know how the year's going to develop. But we've seen time and time again the importance of having both drivers in the fight strategically and mentally as well. I don't think that Charles necessarily makes that mistake if he has Carlos there or thereabouts, in you know, in the race at that stage of the race. So yeah, those things will start to kind of happen again and again, potentially, if Carlos doesn't kind of elevate his game in the same way that, that Charles has. So yeah, it's, it's very early to kind of comment too much on this, but it's just one to one to watch out for. I think. Yeah, agreed.
2: Chog probably felt like he was. Trying to, trying to carry the whole team in Carlos's absence. But I mean, it, not that it was Carlos's fault this time. Obviously qualifying was, but he couldn't help. He, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think it was definitely on Daniel. Uh, and yeah, he was probably trying a bit too hard. And yeah, I don't think it was a, a home race pressure because I mean, he got his second ever win in front of the Tifosi at Monza holding off a charging Lewis Hamilton. So I think he can take it. Like you say we'll we'll keep an eye on it but speaking of mr hamilton or rather sir lewis sorry i mean all three of us are are lewis fans but we can't avoid talking about his part in the weekend for the whole podcast it was a rough one it was it was a painful weekend as a lewis hamilton fan he obviously mercedes struggled they couldn't really ever get the balance right. They qualified for the sprint race 12th and 14th and then it was yeah a nightmare for, for Lewis. Got boxed in, got hit by Esteban coming out of his pit box, got caught in a DRS train once the DRS was activated. George obviously up in force but yeah, about as bad a weekend as you can get
1: for, for Lewis. Yeah, I think, let's, let's be frank here, it wasn't good enough. Ultimately. And... I think that's contextualised by George in fourth and clearly at this stage of the season, Lewis is more sensitive to the car when it's not in its window as you want it to be and I think too often it's not as it, as you want it to be whereas George has been very consistent and we can see that in results. So, Lewis we know that he has a potential to take a car that is underperforming and get everything that you can possibly get out of it we saw that in 2009 and there are understandably comparisons being made even by lewis himself to that car and i think that what really concerns me is we're hearing all this kind of yeah we're collecting data we're collecting you know we're, we're, we're analyzing it but there's then no kind of you know we expect it to change by this point this point this point total about you know six races from now you know like, yeah but okay so we're essentially saying 2022 is done for the team That's uh, that we are getting into that window, and I can't see it changing. Yeah, I mean Lewis
2: wrote off the title chances officially. That's you know it's a it's a fairly obvious comment. But they, it was two races ago. It was talking about damage limitation. You know, if we can get to understanding the car, then maybe we can bring ourselves back into this title fight. And now, yeah, in the space of a couple of weeks, that is now, yeah, forgotten about. And you're right. I think I I feel like I remember Toto saying that. They were going to aim for a big update or maybe not Toto, someone in the team saying that they were going to aim for Spain as a big update and that's gone really quiet recently. I think they were expecting to figure out the issues with this car or to have some kind of like eureka moment and it's just not happening. So they can't make updates because they don't understand the problem. And you were saying, I think you're right, George has been very consistent, but it wasn't all on pace for Lewis. Once he actually got into into clean air this weekend, he was around the same pace. I think the the huge disparity between their positions was more down to the butterfly effect. George got through the first corner and everyone parted, like the the sea parted for him, and he found himself in sixth. And Lewis got boxed in and found himself, yeah,
1: stuck in the in the DRS train as it would become. Yeah, I think that's fair. But you make your own luck don't you, ultimately? And this is now h- half the weekends this season Lewis has been unlike himself. So yeah, it's... it's. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to, to kind of look, look too far ahead because we are only four races into the season. Ultimately, I think what would be a good aim for Lewis this year is to win a race. Keep that streak going of winning a race in every single season of his career. That would be a consolation. And I think... Ultimately, at this stage, I think he would be happy with that.
2: Now, moving on from Lewis, it was a better week for George, as we mentioned. It was a better week still for Lando and Valtteri. Lando getting his unlikely podium the sixth of his career. Valtteri challenging the man in his former seat all the way to the end, getting Alfa Romeo's best result since Kimi in the, the chaos of Brazil 2019. Yeah, it was it was good to see for both of those drivers, I thought.
0: It was it was and I'm wearing my Lando hoodie in congratulations to Lando because I was very pleased with his result Imola does seem to be his track and he does do very well in the tricky conditions that they had over the weekend although it was a bit of a lonely race for him I saw him at the start when the lights went out and he got ahead and then I saw him at the end when the checkered flag came out but I didn't really see him in the middle but he did very well and Bottas did as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't mind. As long as he gets the podium at the end, he's, he'll take a quiet race.
1: I can't believe he's up to six podiums already. I, I, every time he gets a podium, I'm like, oh, it's like his second or third. Yeah. yeah. He, before we know it, he's going to be at like, you know, kind of 20, 30, 40, hopefully. Um, and yeah, I'll still be going, I can't believe he, he's got his fifth podium. So yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a great talent, isn't he? Hopefully, he gets a win. I mean, both he and Carlos
2: are now very overdue a win. I would say I mean, Carlos has got eight, I think, podiums and Lando six, and they both come agonisingly close. But yeah, there. When you think you know, people like Ocon have now got a, a race win who looked less
1: likely to do so. I think you're absolutely right. That that win for Carlos is exactly is. I think at this stage, the only thing he needs, he needs to be able to reset. He needs to just shake off whatever's kind of set in over the last you know, t- two races or so. And I think a win would be a huge confidence boost for him. And if he can get that soon, could he potentially start clawing his way back into the t- title race? I-, I would say that he probably could. Yeah, I, I think that I-, I think a win would
2: make a huge difference, Carlos. Yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, now, another thing to come out from the weekend was uh, in Ted's notebook he let slip that apparently williams are looking at oscar piastri and there have been rumors about a, a driver swap as well which has been you know kept under wraps for now i don't know who we think that could be but i think uh, piastri in williams do you like the sound of that for next year would it, i assume it would be latifi to make way
0: yeah i for one would be and um, i would be very happy if piastri does come in he does deserve an f1 seat And like you said, the driver market is already moving and rumours of a driver swap. I agree. I think it would be Latifi's seat that Piastri would take because Albon's just joined the team and he is is performing better than Latifi this year. Um, So I think it would be Latifi, but I don't know. It would be sad to see Latifi go, but I would be very, very happy to have Piastri in F1. And Alpine have already set a deadline for him to have an F1 seat. So hopefully there will be confirmation if he is soon.
1: I'm not a big fan of mid-season driver changes. Also, can Williams afford to let go of Latifi? He is ultimately a pay driver, right? So there's that to factor in. And I also think Piastri should be getting the second Alpine seat. I'm sorry, Fernando Alonso fans. And he has been very quick this year. And the the results, the point standing for the Drivers' Championship is not representative of how he's performing. I think it, from a, a team perspective, I think that would be the best call for Alpine. I think that's the right thing to, for the, them to do as a team. And ultimately, yeah, they've got to be looking ahead. Fernando is not getting any younger. Yeah, He's over 40 now. I would put him in the second seat there. Imola didn't only see F1, though, over the weekend. We also were treated to a full suite from F2 and F3. So me and Abby are the editors for F2 and F3. So we watched both series closely. Really, really entertaining and enjoyable weekend. So you had Marcus Armstrong, who won the sprint race in F2. Fun fact, he has a food blog, which was really, really entertaining uh, to hear him talking about it. He's always in pursuit of the perfect avo on toast, he says. Um, So I believe the handle is Screaming Meals. So check that out. Uh, It's always nice when you see a bit of kind of personality from from the guys on other things than racing uh, in the press conferences. And also it was Theo Porcher who came back to win his second race of the season in the feature race. A really, really impressive drive. A very entertaining race, including a very um, bizarre incident from Roy Nassani whilst leading the race. He had a brilliant start, came through from sixth to lead at the first corner and and just and then binned it when he was looking likely to win his first F2 race. So yeah, a, a mixed bag for, for those guys of the weekend. If you haven't seen them, check out the highlights. Abby, you were focusing more on F3, weren't you? So uh, what are your take-homes from the weekend?
0: It was very intense, trying to keep up with F1 and F2 and F3, and then the rain causing rescheduling to happen, and I kept losing track of everything. But it was very entertaining to watch, and with F3... We had Zayn Maloney qualify on pole, which was his first pole as a rookie in the series. Unfortunately, he didn't manage to hold on to the lead in the feature race. He did spin out. So in the sprint race, we saw Cal Collette, Victor Martins and Jack Crawford on the podium. And in the feature race, we had Roman Stanek win, his maiden win in F3. Jack Crawford again on the podium, P2. And Isaac Hadjar, who got very lucky to finish P3, as Oliver Behrman and Gregoire Saucy clashed towards the very end, which saw Saucy retire from the race and Behrman suffer a penalty, which bumped him down in the classified finishings. So it was very good. And one thing I must note was Arthur Leclerc. So whilst his brother didn't have a great weekend, Arthur, he qualified P21 out of all the drivers in F3, and he finished P4. He finished P4 in the feature race, which is amazing. And now he's joint. He's leading the championship with Victor Martins, level on 36 points.
1: Yeah, there were so many interesting themes to pull out of the F2, F3 weekend um, for what was round three and round two, respectively, for both those categories. So for starters, well, I just want to comment on the fact that the the incident that you mentioned, Abbey with Behrman and uh, Saucy, was the last corner of the last lap of the feature race. Heartbreaking, but Hajar, you've got me in the right place at the right time. And uh, yeah, a second podium for him uh, in the series. So well on to him. But yeah, the Leclerc, really, really interesting because he's shown all year to have exceptionally, exceptionally strong race pace. Like it, it's unbelievable how quickly and efficiently he can carve through the field. But his his qualifying pace is letting him down, and Morgan Holiday, one of our writers, she wrote a really really brilliant article on this, so check it out on uh, Formula Nerds. I think it's it'll be one of those things that can potentially hold him back if he can't rectify that soon. So yeah, a lot of you know a lot of interesting themes, as well as um, a Marie Cordiel, who is an F two driver, had a, a race to forget, shall we say. Abby, do you, want to, do you want to give the rundown of uh, of the incidents that occurred in the F2 feature race for him?
0: So, so far this season, he has not had a great start. In Bahrain, he had two 10-second penalties for speeding in the pit lane. In Jeddah, he then failed to slow for double-wave jellos and red flags as well. Now, last weekend, he, well, the team... Received a €2,000 fine for a breached pit stop procedure because the tyres were not laid flat. He also managed to rack up six track limit violations, receiving several penalties for them. So after round three of Formula 2 this year, Amori Cordil now has nine penalty points and is only three away from a race ban. And we're only three races into the season and he could have a race ban already. Yeah,
1: pretty shocking. I'm sorry. Uh, you you you've got to start wondering why they didn't show the, the the black flag during that race. We'll have to see, but it doesn't bode well for the for the poor guy. You know, hopefully he has better luck in the the rounds to come.
0: Well, speaking of rounds to come, Miami is next, and that is the first weekend of 2022 W Series. And there has been news in lately about W Series and it is that Sky Sports F1 are going to be covering this season. So before it was on Channel 4, but now it's going to be on Sky Sports F1 along with F1 and the Two Feeder Series. And the CEO has said that they're impressed by Sky's commitment to women's sport and to amplify the coverage of W Series. Now, I know on Twitter there has been some mixed reactions from fans and that about this announcement and particularly W Series being moved to Sky Sports alongside F1 and how they're going to manage the coverage and that. I personally think it's a great thing because it will help promote W Series and all the extremely talented racers within it as well. What do you guys think about this?
1: At the end of the day, representation matters. And this is what the the Sky Deal provides. W Series is absolutely deserving of sitting alongside F1, F2 and F3. So... I think it's a really positive thing. Understandably, people are raising concerns about the paywall. I get that. That is a va- that's valid across all the series already, um, and that is something that unfortunately I can't see changing anytime soon. But it is an, a very legitimate kind of issue within within motorsport at the moment. But for those saying that it's you know sexist, I disagree with, and I'm I'm glad that. W Series uh, being able to showcase what greater category is and hopefully that will be by being alongside F1 we'll be able to kind of you know, silence some of those critics in that way.
0: And it also came out today about the broadcast team for W Series this season and we will see some familiar faces with Ted Kravitz, David Coulthard and Naomi Schiff but joining the team will also be Alex Shax, Lee McKenzie, Amy Reynolds and Billy Monger. Now, I mentioned that they were kicking off in miami that is correct it is next weekend and for f1 lots of teams are launching their own miami specific merch and there have been videos of the yacht club coming out and comparisons for the miami grand prix to be like the super bowl of f1 there is a lot of hype and excitement around this first race in miami i'm very excited for it i feel like it's one of the biggest races this season. What are your thoughts? Are you guys excited to see Miami?
2: I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm going in with an open mind. I always try to. It, it feels like they're trying to make it the kind of American Monaco. I, that's the feeling I'm getting. I mean, obviously Vegas will come in and probably trump that eventually. But yeah, especially throwing in a what is seemingly a fake marina for a, a yacht club and then charging through the nose for it. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but equally I'd, I'd rather have this than
1: another Gulf State Grand Prix. I, th- I think what's potentially could be anticlimactic is if it doesn't produce good racing. If it's a, if it's a bad weekend racing-wise, you know, you, there's all this hype about being the Super Bowl of, you know, of F1, but if it can't deliver on track... It's not going to be popular with with fans. Yeah, you know, people will still, still probably go because Miami, by by all measures, looks like an incredible place to go and have a party. But yeah, I, they need to be careful about making it too gimmicky, and especially in the run up to having a Vegas Grand Prix next year, they re- like it can so easily get away from you with those kind of commercial things. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. A new track is always interesting. Uh, so yeah, like James very much going on with an open mind
0: I completely agree and I think calling it the American Monaco James I think that is exactly what they're trying to recreate I'm excited for it it's a new track but at the end of the day like Sam said it's got to produce good racing we have to have a good race so I'm hoping that it doesn't disappoint my expectations and we do see lots of good racing and lots of battles on track but time will tell so that is all the news that we have for you guys today. A lot of the outcome from Imola and, and expectations heading into my Annie and that. So thank you guys for helping me go through it all.
1: It's been a pleasure as always. Yep. Uh,
2: <laughs> you, t- you said it literally word for word what I was going to say. So then I was like really trying to, really quickly trying to think of anything else. But I was like, yeah, pleasure as always. And
1: I can't say that twice in a row. <laughs> but it was a pleasure for the record. <laughs> Is that James, it's that weird mine hive thing going on. This is, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. increasingly getting weird. <laughs> Let's just say yes. I enjoyed this too.
2: Cheers, Abby.
0: <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you both here as well. So don't forget to check out all the latest news on our website, nerds.com and the Cut to the Race podcast where we will cover all the races and have some interviews coming your way. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Podcast Network.